You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you've enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Hello, this is Richard Jacobs with the Future Tech and Future Tech Health podcast. And I have Benjamin Kipps. Uh, he's in the Science Applications and Climate Department, Earth Observation Programs at ESA, uh, the European Space Agency. So, uh, Benjamin, thanks for coming. How are you doing today? I'm good. Thanks for inviting me. Yeah. Well, when, when, uh, when I think about, you know, ESA or NASA or the other agencies, um, I don't know, somehow I guess I always uh, think of them going out into space or observing you know, other planets and everything, but uh, is your focus more observing things that are happening on Earth from space, you know, from orbit, or uh, what's what's your focus at ESA? Well, ESA is a very, well, it's a, it's a space agency who is covering all the different space aspects which you can think of, and yes, space exploration is one of the most visible ones, but uh, in fact, uh, at the European Space Agency, the biggest directorate is the Earth Observation Directorate, and that's the one I work in, and uh, there we really look down to Earth. We are trying to observe our little blue marble and trying to understand how it functions and uh, give uh, information and uh, continuously monitoring the different processes and information coming from what is happening on Earth, from the nature, but also the activities of us uh, people um, in this kind of uh, ecosystems that makes uh, makes it quite exciting to to watch it. Mm. So what um what kind of observations are you uh, you know in charge of or what are you focusing on in particular? What are you observing about Earth? All right. Um. So my position is called the application scientist, which means uh, nothing in the first place, but actually has um, has the purpose of uh, interacting between application and science, making sure that the Earth observation science is somehow um, related to um, useful applications on the ground, meaning that information from the satellite is being translated into something which is useful in managing our natural resources. So that could be all kinds of things uh, ranging from uh, agriculture type of monitoring up to um, flood uh, disaster monitoring applications. So that is the type of range where we look at, and, and there's a number of different types of observations, and, and we can go through the different techniques which we, we are using, which is optical up to microwave uh, active or passive radars. But um, there, there's a, I mean, the technology is not the driver, it's more what type of information can be used by people on the ground to make their let's say, operations and their applications more informed and more efficient. Okay. Um, 
so in particular, what is the focus of the observations? Are we looking at how forests are changing on the earth or how water is moving or changing or is it climate observations or all of those things? You know, what are some particular observations that are going on? Yeah, in general, I mean, the, the big advantage of um, Earth observation by satellites is that you have a global view um, about what things are changing. And as you said, changes are the most interesting one. It really is, um, you know, what if a forest being cut sometimes uh, in, a, in a normal process, um, com forest companies are owning and managing forests. In some cases, it's a legal cutting. In some cases, it's um, you know, damage from a from a storm. Um, all these kind of changes we would like to see, and because it's a resource which is valuable, forest has biomass, has um, well has value also in an economical sense. Uh, we would like to follow that and to see how it's being used. And in the context of climate change, forest is a, is a carbon sink. So you also want to see that, how that is changing. Is it you know, diminishing or increasing? And there's even a, a seasonal change over the, over the, over the um, seasons and over the years as well. Mm -hmm. And all that is something which you can see from space and the global scale. And that um, is yeah, the temporal and spatial dimension is the interesting part where you can combine a space and link it then to, to what we do on Earth. Okay. So what, are, what are some of the big trends that um, we're seeing through observation? Anything interesting or good or bad? <laughs> That's a difficult question. And the climate change um, yeah. context, that is certainly uh, something that you, you can very quantitatively measure. For example, the sea ice is uh, diminishing in an alarming scale. That uh, certainly is something which has been um, observed by both um, from European Space Agency, but also from NASA's side. Uh, and it is something which is absolutely alarm alarming. And what happens around well, the world? Well, you know what? I, I wanted to. I want to ask you, like, what have you seen with your own eyes when you've looked at imaging data? You, you yourself, what have you seen that? stood out to you or surprised you? You know, we all hear about scientists see this or scientists, uh, you know, claim this, but, you know, you being one of them, what have you seen literally by looking at data, at images? Well, I, me personally, I'm focusing a lot on agriculture context. Uh, and there you see um, a lot of changes going on in terms of um Responding to uh, lack of water, for example, that's something which we have uh, observed uh, in the northern Europe uh, last summer, for example, that uh, suddenly all the crops were being um, were dying from lack of uh, rainfall precipitation, and that was something which was associated directly to climate change by uh, variability, and that you see. If you look at these images, uh, you compare from one year or even from the month beforehand, and even with your, as you say, bare eyes, basically, and you see it turning from green to brown, um, which you see on the ground in one hand side. But I mean, if you look at on the whole continent and down to 10 meter resolution, you really can quantify this kind of impact uh, in almost real time. That, it's quite uh, well. It's alarming to to make the the link to what is 
lost in terms of harvest and um, yeah, uh, resources available to basically eat. Yeah, I've heard just anecdotally in the news, and I've seen also, um, you know, for instance, I live in Texas, and when we arrived here like five years ago, there was a drought for many years in one particular area, and then there was a, so much rain that the drought completely was reversed, and, you know, the local lake was filled up. Uh, it was like 80 feet down, and it was filled all the way up, which was really dramatic. And I know, mm -hmm. for instance, you know, again, this, this is, you know, the U.S., but in Southern California, there was a drought for years and years and years, and you know, I personally observed all the vegetation dying along the side of the highways. And, you know, I remember my wife said, oh, when it rains, everything is going to, you know, there's going to be mudslides and all that. <laughs> she was right. You know, it just started happening. Um, Absolutely. You know, and I've heard uh, X number of years ago about, you know, Europe and, uh, and Central Europe and, and Asia having a, a winter where temperatures didn't get above zero Fahrenheit, you know, negative C for weeks and weeks. So I've, I've seen and observed a lot of, uh, you know, extreme climate events. So I wanted to see what you've observed and seen and, you know, how that affected you. Mm -hmm. Well, I mean, the, yeah, that's, that was one example I just uh, brought up. Um, but uh, we, we can, we have a climate change initiative as well, who's bringing this into context uh, over 30 years. And that is much more, let's say, relevant in scientific terms. But uh, as you said, I mean, uh, it's uh, the real impact on on an individual like like your wife um, is is about having access to the water in in your you know let's say the next water pond or in in the, on the field where you grow your crops and uh, we have been working for example in Mali I mean one thing what is happening in California in terms of drought you have you know, certain infrastructure around but we have been also doing this kind of things and. Zone, as I said, in, in Mali, and um, there people live, you know, they're depending on the field, and that's uh, also something where you can directly um, follow from the satellite what is happening, and with that also linking it to food security type of uh, interventions, and uh, that's uh, certainly important when it comes down to people who are like WFP, the World Food Program, who's who's um, organizing their food security emergency intervention on the ground, mm. and, and they need to decide what place to go first and how much right. they have to plan two or three months in advance. This is the type of thing where satellite images can make a, make a difference uh, and uh, help uh, yeah, um, affecting affected life in, in, a, in a pragmatic way. Well, if... Um... I mean, there's really nothing we can do about the weather, but are you able to observe patterns, you know, from space that we can't see on the ground to help people? Let's say, you know, I live in a certain place and we're hit with a drought this season. And obviously I really want to know, will that be the end of the drought or will it continue for how many more years? You know, is there any way with our observational data for you to do better predicting uh, trend-wise, you know, even to look at Again, just large trends and, and to tell farmers in certain areas or people that live in certain areas what's coming or when things will end, or is it really mm -hmm. unpredictable? Well, I mean, well, there is, uh, well, predicting is one thing, forecasting is another. Um, better well, forecast, forecast. We, have, um, we have something, yeah, well, well you, you, you switch on your television every day and um, I'm not an expert in weather forecast itself, but what I am always being told 
60% of the information which goes in the weather forecast is coming from satellites. Uh, otherwise, the, that forecast accuracy and the probability would be much lower than what we have today. So that is, we, we do see global and regional patterns in terms of the weather formations moving along um, over our globe, which would not be able to be done in the same way as uh, from ground stations. And that is also Earth observations coming from the geostationary satellites um, above the equator, giving us every 15 minutes observations um, over the full globe. There's um, satellites like that from NOAA over the United States, but there's also from UMITSAT um, over the European uh, side of, um, or the European African side of the hemisphere. And these all together, there's data being exchanged between the different agencies to make sure that the weather forecasts are more predictable or more reliable. And uh, that mm -hmm. these are patterns which you would never see from the ground, for example. So what are some interesting patterns, like macroscopic patterns going on that uh, we've been able to observe now with our satellite coverage? Observe where, you say? I'm sorry, I didn't get You know, with, with, the increased, with the increased satellite coverage, what kind of new patterns or trends are we observing now? Any macro trends that uh, are clear that are going on? I mean, there's, um, there's for example, that's another topic, but uh, it's a clear pattern that you see in terms of increased um, um, sea surface temperature. That is something which uh, you can always see in in yeah, in connection with different um, phenomenon like the El Nino, which is currently not very um, active, but uh, it was a year ago, um, it was quite um, quite um, active. And that is something which you could um, link, for example, over the, over the glo global distribution of coral reefs, where you'd see clear trends of increased of sea surface temperature, which affecting and let them, affecting the coral reefs and make them also die and over oil. Bleach, and then that means uh, mm. also lo losing the symbiosis with the, the reefs. That is a very ongoing um, trend, and it has been also documented by the IPCC report um, from the climate mm. change um, community. Okay, and then in terms of uh, you know the work that you're specifically involved in, what's what's your goal? Is your goal to focus on agriculture and study? what's happening with it and how to uh, improve it? Or what's your specific goal as the agency there? Our goal is basically to, um, on one hand side, to develop the right um, technologies, and that is really the Earth observation satellite technologies, um, in response to make sure that this technology fits to the information needs on the ground. And uh, so I give you a very specific example in this case in the context of um, Agriculture is that um, agriculture is in many cases um, um, irrigated. Huh? I mean, if you if you look, um, you I think you sit in Texas, right? Um, and you have a lot of um, in well, perhaps you're not really in the the focus of the Corn Belt, but still in the Midwest of um, the United States, you have a lot of um, corn being grown, which is normally irrigated, and uh, that needs, in most cases, 70% of the fresh water um, which is available. And that is driven by the evapotranspiration coming out of the coming from the crop. 
that needs to if we can measure that in a in a consistent and operational manner we can uh, give the farmer some information about uh, how much water was lost and how much then the next day he needs to replenish by irrigation and for that uh, the us uh, nasa usgs has the landsat uh, satellite um, which has a thermal thermal and to to measure the land surface temperature that also can translate to evapotranspiration and in that is done at 100 meter resolution which is suitable for the us size of field if you want to do that in europe the fields are much smaller so what we do in the moment is developing a satellite which is doing exactly the same type of observation in the thermal um, wavelength it's about uh, 50 meter resolution, which is four times as high, higher resolu resolution what is existing in the moment, in which that we could respond to yeah, increasing water scarcity in, in Europe, uh, European agriculture production systems. Mm. Right. So um, that, I mean, that's what, what, one example is how to we translate, we develop technology and translate it into information which we could use and by farmers in this case. And what's the resolution right now of, of satellites? What's the smallest feature size can they see? Um, in, in the optical, in, in, in the different, um, different wavelengths. Oh, that's true, that's true. Yeah, yeah. yeah what, all right, so uh, that's true. What, um, so it's useful to, I'm just thinking about the visual spectrum, but right, what yeah. spectrums are you imaging in? And what's the resolution of the different spectrums? And, you know, what do you see by looking at the different spectrums? Right. Okay. Um, so in the visible one, which uh, is the most obvious one, which we as humans uh, observe in the natural way, is um, there's um, oh, commercially available. You, we go down to 30 centimeters. That is a very high resolution um, um, satellite, which is not giving um, on a consistent level every, um, the global coverage every day, or it, it's sampling the Earth only. Um, then you have um, other satellites which actually are observing every three days, every day at three meter resolution. And finally, it's still commercial. And finally, then we have. Um, satellites um, which, we, which for example European Space Agency or NASA is building for open freely available access they're in the range of a 10 to 30 meter resolution that's in the optical and then um, we would like to look into other uh, spectral bands uh, where you, for example in thermal um, there we, we talk about 50 to 100 meters um, in many cases, one kilometer um, resolution because the energy is lower, which we are receiving in, at, at the satellite. It's more difficult to have higher resolution information. And then finally, which is also very interesting, is the microwave region, um, where we have um, radar or SAR um, instrument, which can give you... Um, information up to 10 meter resolution as well they all have different applications um i, I yeah if i give you an example for the SAR, for example it's very um, sensitive to water surface versus um, land 
So you could very easily observe um, a recently flooded area, and that you can do even through uh, closed, um, clouded, um, yeah, cloud, clouded uh, atmosphere, which normally happens when, mm. when you flood. Oh, okay. Um, that's that's very particular for the for that uh, type of um, observation. What kinds of weather would get in the way? So if, if there's cloud cover. That's essentially water in the way of you observing the surface, right? Right. Yeah. Well, vapor. Yeah. Water okay. vapor. Yeah. Vapor. Okay. Well, yeah, yeah, is, please continue. Yeah, which is basically for the optical. I mean, you you you're blocked. Huh? There's no way how to look through it. But uh, the microwave um, um, information is has a longer wavelength and can is not affected by the water vapor, so it looks. Yeah, basically through the the, the clouds, and uh, it's a way how to still observe the Earth below a completely clouds uh, covered area. Hmm. It's just related to the, the the length of the wavelength and uh, related to the small, very small size of the water molecules. So it's not um, in a vapor form; it's not being affected. Okay, so microwave, visual, vi visual, which is optical. Thermal, um, any other observation bands? Um, there's a um, relatively new type of application um, and, and observation, which is called, um, which is using lasers. And that can be it's an active observation. You send out a light impulse, um, which, and then you receive this um, active um, emitted uh, information um, signal back. So that is as a system it's called a lidar based on lasers and that can be used um, either to to measure the atmospheric composition but also um, what has been just launched by JPL on on the international space station um, is a, is a, um, a lidar system which can measure the the height of the surface the earth surface but also even Distinguish between the surface of a tree canopy and the earth below, and that uh, gives yeah. you gives you the tree height, for example, and you get the three-dimensional representation of um, of the surface, which is uh, a relative, uh, well, it's a completely different type of um, observation, which uh, I have not, uh, yeah, which, which is complementing the other type of um, um, observations I just mentioned. That's the uh, the holy grail. For the space agency would would it be to, i mean maybe we can can we image the entire earth and piece together enough satellite feeds to see literally the entire earth all at once and over time <laughs> well that uh, it certainly is um in the moment a big uh, push for getting more information in a continuous um way um we have been getting information let's say every um every week, every month or so, but uh, there's a huge push now to really have the temple dimension being covered as well by um, by um, satellites. For that, whole constellations of satellites are being built, um, not only single satellites. And that is certainly a holy grail to really understand our activity as humans, but also the nature um, in a temporal continuously manner because it's, the changes as we said in the very beginning 
are driving our decisions on the daily level. So we want to know if there are um, yeah changes out before our door, but also on the other side of the world. If you want to understand, for for example, the economics of of how people well, let's go back to agriculture. The production in China for a certain crop is affecting the the markets in, in Chicago and the stock market also. So you want to have this type of thing followed as continuous as possible. Okay. Well, you know, again, is it uh, is it far away or is it possible? Will it be possible soon again to image the entire Earth all at once over uh, you know over a period of time? Well. How are you frame down, you know down to down to some <laughs> it, reasonable resolution I should have qualified you know like uh, let's say in in any particular spectrum, I mm-hmm. guess there's different levels of it, so you know the entire earth down to uh, one meter accuracy you know in the visual in the visual spectrum where it's allowable with cloud cover or the entire earth you know into x meter accuracy in the thermal spectrum I mean how far off right. are those uh, abilities? But we, what we at the European Space Station as agency are doing, we, we do it every five days at 10 meter resolution. So that's existing already and that is open and free for everybody. In the commercial world, there's uh, the company called Planet. They have uh, about 120 small sets uh, or cube sets uh, flying um, and they observe the world uh, per day in a three meter resolution. But it is not something which uh, which you do at once. Huh? You need to have a whole fleet of satellites to do that. So 140 small satellites doing that, and you have to stitch it up together. Which, in the end, you don't care about because you get this information. Um, but it's not something which you do with one snapshot. So that is where things, how things are, are moving. In, and uh, if you want to have one meter, it's a question of of money in the end uh, to invest. It's technically possible. You just need to have a fleet of satellites who's capable of doing mm. that. And as I said earlier, there are satellites already who do samples of the Earth at 30 centimeters. Would there be any big benefit in being able to do, you know, the entire Earth continuously or no? There will be any data? Any benefit? You know, would there be any benefit, benefit. from being able to continuously, you know, view the whole Earth? It depends on what process you want to look at. I mean, uh, some of these very um, frequent data we just talked about is being used, for example, to to, to monitor the the changes, how often the Walmart uh, parking lot uh, is being is being frequented, and make some analytics on that, uh, how well the business of this Walmart is uh, happening. If you are ready to pay for that, and you think this is valuable for your for your business decisions, then this is a benefit. Um, you need to always think about what is your process you're interested in, and uh, you will come up with that. And there has been over the last few days, a few years, a huge, let's say, understanding what the monitoring and the temporal um, information dimension can can bring to um, yeah, um, communities which we have not been talking to in, in, on a regular basis. When we talk to climate change scientists, that's not necessary, the, the type of frequencies you need. But if you talk to Bloomberg, uh, they are interested how, how the, let's say, the oil reserves in, um, 
in a particular country is changing, and, and there is way how to assess that with the high, very high resolution satellites on a frequent basis now. Okay. Well, very good. So, um, where can listeners, um, and I don't know if there's a public repository or if there's a level of public access for some of these images, uh, some of the satellite data, but whether there is or isn't, um, where can the public learn more and find out more about uh, what kind of imaging is going on? There's, um, I mean, many of the satellites are public, available, open. Some of them uh, are commercial, so they they are not uh, necessarily um, for free. Um, there is what we call the CEOs, um, the, the Committee of Earth Observation Satellites. Uh, it's an organization of all space agencies around the globe. And uh, I think this website is CEOs.org, where you can get a full repository of the existing satellites flying in the moment. And they are the hundreds and and more, um, where you get their specifications, the availability, and the data where you can get uh, them to download. And so that uh, I would point you to this, uh, let's say, repository to understand what is existing. Okay. Well, very good. Well, Benjamin, uh, thank you for coming, and you know I appreciate you being on the podcast. Thanks again for inviting, and uh, it was a pleasure as well for me. You're listening to the Future Tech Podcast with Richard Jacobs. Future technologies such as artificial intelligence, stem cells, 3D printing, gene editing, Bitcoin, blockchain, the microbiome, quantum computing, virtual reality, and exploring space are much closer than you might think. In fact, many early versions of these technologies are in play right now, and the companies that are using these technologies are the focus of this podcast. My goal for you, the listener, is to learn from these podcasts. You may very well learn something that may change the course of your life for the better, steer you towards a new career, or give you insight into addressing a thorny medical problem. Remember, this podcast and its content is informational in nature only. No medical, tax, legal, financial, or psychological advice is being given. If you enjoyed the podcast, please listen, subscribe, like, and tell your friends about it. Thank you. Thank you.